Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning. I'm going to see if I can remember how to do this. Or maybe I never knew. I'm not sure. Uh, Today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and also in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, I want to begin by expressing my gratefulness uh, to you for your prayers and your patience uh, in putting up with me over the last month. Uh, I know that it was God's will for me to go to Africa because of the uh, resistance and obstacles that were in my way. Not that that's always proof, but I uh, also know that your prayers undergird me and, uh, and saw me through that. So many of you were so good to let me know that you were praying for me daily, and I appreciate that a lot. I also am very grateful, uh, you know, four weeks ago. I've never, 25 years, I've never missed hardly four weeks in a year, let alone four weeks in a row. Uh, and anyway, I just, uh, I appreciate Cameron and his last minute, uh, uh, filling in for me a month ago. I can't believe Cameron Lane's preached in this church since I have, that seems like a year ago. Um, and then also Blake did a, a great job. I was able to listen to some of one of them. Uh, we didn't have very good cell service in the bush of Africa. So, uh, I did get a, I tried to, tried to catch it. Uh, and then also David Taylor, I appreciate. Here's what I really am grateful for, you know, the events that we had too. I mean, these are annual events that are so big, the Wild Game Dinner, such a big event, and then also the Not, Not to Shine, and, uh, and, and so many of you stepped up in so many incredible ways, and I'm just so grateful that, that the, the spiritual and emotional stress uh, that comes into a, especially a pastor's life Whenever he misses things like that and has been gone for a while, uh, and 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 not to have to worry about the hands that the church is in, and and knowing that uh, what a testimony to the church. Again, not saying that that everything depends on me. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying to be able to have the peace of mind to be in the moment uh, is very very important for a pastor. And knowing your sacrifice and your service to one another. And knowing that you get why we exist uh, made it so much easier for me not to have to worry about all the problems that, that I was wanting to come home to. And so I just want to say thank you for allowing me to, uh, to be a part of that. I know that that's... Uh, I just don't want to take that for granted. The second thing is, is I want to tell you one story. Many of you have said... You know, can't wait to hear your stories. But I just feel like Sunday mornings should be reserved for, for worship and God's story. So I don't want to get into a whole lot of personal storytelling uh, about the trip. Plus, I'm still, I'm still processing the trip. It takes a long time to get back from Africa. Uh, especially to the forgotten parts of Africa. And, uh, and so, if, you know, I, I, I want you to go. And, and we're going to, to, to continue to encourage you to go. Uh, and so I don't want to dissuade you from going by telling you some of this, but it is not easy to get there from here. Uh, 30 hours, uh, and we land in uh, Abidjan, which is the capital down on the coast, and then it's a 13-hour 
bus ride uh, north up to the border of Burkina Faso and, and uh, the Ivory Coast. So it's not easy to get there. And it's 400 miles. It takes 13 hours to drive 400 miles because the road is so is terrible. But the good news is it's better than it used to be. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but anyway, I say all of that to say this. Once we get there, you know, it's living in tents and sleeping on cots and, and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, my, my specific responsibility was uh, teaching local pastors. And so uh, when I think local pastors, I was thinking guys that lived kind of close, but but there were, there were men who came from all over the country who, who traveled with great sacrifice from all over the country, literally. The place I started, you know, at the Capitol, he spent the night there because of where he was coming from. And so uh, an in- incredible opportunity to be able to share with them. At, uh, so in the mornings, I, I taught them, and then in the afternoons, we would kind of regurgitate the morning stuff and what questions do you have and and we went from, you know, discerning God's will to teaching on spiritual gifts and, uh, you know, spiritual qualifications for church leadership and personality tests and the biblical uh, philosophy of worship and, and all sorts of stuff they'd never, they'd never heard or been taught. I feel like it was really rewarding, or at least they said that it was. At the end of Saturday's teaching, this was two weeks ago, uh, one of the pastors came and, and said that there was a man uh, nearby that was wanting to talk to me now, when I say me, I don't mean me. Just heard that there was a you know an American pastor that you know was there. So uh, God just gave me the opportunity to represent all of us. But He wanted to talk, and so I'll give you the the super cliffs notes of this encounter. Uh, th- this man uh, is a fetisher, and uh, and so there's two primary types of religions in the Ivory Coast, and uh, one is fetish. Religions and then, of course, Islam. Uh, but fetish, fetish beliefs uh, that that God created us, uh, not necessarily our God, but a God created us, and then left. Didn't want to have anything to do. In fact, he didn't even create us for a relationship just because he could. He leaves, but he leaves behind uh, uh, spirits to kind of control everything. And so their relationship can't be to God directly. It's to spirit, the spirit world. And so they will harness these spirits in, into things. And so, you know, they'll, they'll carve idols or whatever. They do a lot of idol worship. And they, they pray to these things. They sacrifice to these things. They, uh, they, they serve them with their, with their lives. They, they pray to them. And, and so when this man came to me as a fetisher, uh, I found that he's 82 years old. And uh, number one, it's incredible to live that long. Average age is 54, uh, life expectancy. So to be that old uh, was incredible. And uh, I asked the interpreter, so he speaks Lobi, which is a, a, a local uh, uh, tribe, and, uh, and I don't speak Lobi. I do speak Bush, uh, but I learned that uh, northeastern Kentucky Bush is a little different. The accents, the accents are in different placement. Uh, and... And so I, I don't understand what he's trying to say. So I have someone who speaks French and Lobi and someone who speaks English and French and then someone who speaks Appalachian American. And so it's four of us having a conversation between two people. And, uh, and, and so I asked the, 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 one of the translators, where are we starting? You know, and, 
going to find out the man has never heard the name of Jesus. So at least I'm not correcting someone else's teaching, right? Uh, so I thought, wow, this is... Now we go all the way back to the beginning. God did create us, but He created us for a relationship. He didn't leave like you've been told. We've learned more since you heard the story. Uh, he does love us. And not only does He love us, He actually moved to us so that He could live with us. And it, I won't give you the gospel, but uh, was able to talk to Him about all spirits are not the same. Through this conversation, He says to me, I've not slept in... A month. Now, try to remember, he's 32, he lives in mud. So he's not, or 82, and he lives in mud. He's not trying to impress me with drama, okay? So uh, he says, I've not slept in a month because every time I close my eyes, I see these spirits are trying to drag me apart and tear me apart. And it's terrifying. And uh, he said over the last week, he has, he sees these things when he's awake. And they're just, they're just clawing at him and they're crawling at him and, and trying to drag him. And he says, I, I think, I think everything that I've touched for 82 years has died. And so uh, he said, I think that the fetishes have lied to me. Well, I confirmed that that was true. Uh, and we get through the gospel. He says, he says if I accept your Jesus... Will these things leave me alone and stop? <laughs> and I said, no, they won't. But the difference is now they have power over you. But if you will accept Jesus, actually his spirit will come into you. And that's the greatest spirit. It's the only one. It's the life-giving spirit. You'll actually have power over them. And if you say leave, they'll leave. They have to, but they'll come back. But you have power over them. Long story short, this 82-year-old man made a confession uh, that he was going to live for Jesus Christ every day till his death. Now, before I get into much further into this story, you need to understand that this does not happen in their culture. It does not happen. Someone who has never heard, has never been influenced at all, didn't know any other Christians, they just don't do it. I was there with seasoned missionaries who said, I've never heard of that before. This doesn't happen like this. This is miraculous, okay? Very important for you to know that. Immediately, I begin to think to myself, I don't have time to teach him the power of the resurrection in him. I don't have time to teach him how to live in wholeness and how to study the Scriptures. Wait, he doesn't even have the Scriptures. How, he doesn't know anything. Lord, you've got to help this old man. He's tormented. And he needs somebody to walk alongside his faith. Well, then I was asked to preach on Sunday morning. And so you'll be glad to know, you won't believe it, I preached for 15 minutes <laughs> in English and 15 minutes in French and 15 minutes in Lobi. So it was still 45 minutes. Uh, but anyway, so when I was sharing hundreds of their folks and many people, when they find out they're having a special service, people will come. Uh, but listen to this. This man has never been in a church before, does never heard the name of Jesus before. The pastor got up, he said, is there any first-time people here today that would like to stand and be recognized? Well, I looked, hundreds of people, and this old man stands up all by himself, came to church, and he said, I just want to declare that yesterday I gave my life to Jesus, and I wanted all of my new, he said, because I taught him about this, but uh, all of my brothers and sisters to know. Now, he's not from this village, he actually lives far, far away. And, uh, or this would have been the perfect church for him. 
But uh, so anyway, for for all all Saturday evening, all I was doing was praying that God somebody would God would send somebody to disciple him. After church is over, another pastor comes up to me and he says. Uh, I'm not from this village. I'm actually from far away, but I heard you were preaching today. He heard it before I knew it. Uh, he said, I heard you were preaching today, and I wanted to come, so I left my village to come. And uh, while I was here, I heard that old man's testimony, and I already talked to him. And listen to this. He's from the same village. And he said, that man has agreed for me to disciple him, and we've scheduled his baptism for next week, and he's agreed to start sitting with me during the day so that I can share with him. Hundreds of miles in the same room. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, that sounds, that's a good, that's a good idea. <clears throat> uh, so he also said that uh, he had uh, uh, talked to the man and they were setting up a date. When they get home, both of them get home to the village together. They're going to go through his house and they're going to get all of his fetishes. And they'll have a burning ceremony for all of his fetishes. Uh, for him. And so I'd like for you to pray for that man. But I also want you to know that many of you have said, I prayed for you, I prayed for you, and you told me when you were praying for me, and you're praying for me exactly at the right times. And so God might have used my flesh, but he used our concerted efforts together to pray for one another. And while some go, we all love. And so I want you to know that we will get to spend eternity with people that we've never seen because you prayed and because you sent and we all get to celebrate and we all get to, uh, to, to experience the joy of, uh, of seeing people come to know the Lord. So thank you for allowing me to be your representative and uh, pray for those pastors too because they're dealing with some super, super dark stuff. I won't talk about a lot of it uh, because you wouldn't believe some of it. Uh, but, uh, but be praying for, for them as they lead for Christ in a very dark place. So uh, anyway, it's good to be home and uh, still find myself from time to time speaking in short sentences and, uh, because I don't, you know, I've got not used to not having a translator and I'm still struggling with that. I'm still coming back. So I uh, appreciate your ongoing patience. All right, let's shift gears to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, when I left, uh, well, when I got sick, we were getting ready to conclude a series on discerning God's will. I hear people often say, I wish that I knew God's will. If I could only know God's will uh, for my life or what God wants me to do. And, uh, and, and the scripture is super clear on what God's will is. And so over the last couple of months, we've been breaking that down a little bit uh, over time. And so we learned that what Jesus said, it is the will of God that we, that we be saved. And uh, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but we know that being saved means to receive the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And so we know this is not something that God offers to us. It's what God wants. He wants to give us. I hear people say sometimes, you know, you don't know the things that I've done. God could never forgive me. It's what God wants. God wants to forgive us. The only qualification for grace is you have to not deserve it. And the only qualification for salvation is you have to be a sinner. So when we think about God wanting to save us, even on our worst day, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so it is God's will that we experience salvation. The scriptures also say is once you've experienced salvation, it is God's will that you be spirit-filled. We looked, we looked at that verse and tore it apart and realized that after we receive salvation, we now experience being filled by the Spirit. We walk in the power of the Spirit. We live in the power of the Spirit. Resurrection power in us. And so as I am spirit-filled, my spirit becomes alive. That's where we get the idea of being born again. We experience birth, but because the Spirit lives in us, we are born again a second time spiritually. And so once, once I recognize that God wants to live in me, that God wants to place His power in me, His Spirit in me, now I am qualified to understand the next passage of Scripture, which says that it is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the process, the lifelong process of learning how to think like Jesus, how to feel like Jesus. It's the process of setting your mind on things above. It's the process of take every thought captive, of, of the renewing of your mind. Over and over we find the, the responsibility of our mind, which is our free will, the part that we play in this, choosing to, to live in the Spirit so that we can think and love and feel in the Spirit. Okay, so this is a sanctification process. So it is God's will that we be saved, that we be Spirit-filled, that we be sanctified. And lastly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In every circumstance, give thanks. For this is the will of God. I mean, it's not hard. It's not hard to read what God's will is. In every circumstance, in all circumstances, give thanks. For this is the will of God. What is God's will for my life? God's will is that you be saved. And once you're saved, it's to be spirit-filled. Once you are spirit-filled, you, you can be sanctified. And when you are in the process of being sanctified, you can find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And when you find satisfaction in Him, you will be thankful. Now this word is incredibly important. I know that you knew that I was going to say that, but I'm going to tear this word down. Okay, The word is actually the Greek word, eucharisteo. Okay, it comes right out of the Gospel of Luke. It's not found that often. It's not the kind of give thanks that we would say if someone does something kind to you or someone does something that you like or someone does something for you, you would say, well, make sure you say thank you to them. You need to express thank thankfulness to them. That's not what this word means at all. In fact, it's a completely separate word. It's the word eucharisteo. It's the word that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 22 verse 19 when it says that he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and he gave it to them. He gave thanks, reads, eucharisteo. The root word from eucharisteo, actually in fact we use this word a lot when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Many denominations call it the Eucharist. Right? The Eucharist. Perhaps you've heard it even called that yourself. But the word Eucharist at its core is the word charis, which means grace. Jesus took bread and he saw it as God's grace, God's provision. Not only did, did Jesus see the bread as God's provision for their meal, but Jesus used the illusion of the bread represents the life of Jesus. And so when Jesus says He took the bread and then He drew a, a, a comparison to Himself, that Jesus Himself is the very grace of God given to them. His life was God's grace to them. And so 
when he saw that it was... In fact, we still use this. If, you ever, if you've ever wondered why when you get ready to eat and someone says, somebody needs to say grace, that's where it comes from. Someone needs to say grace. Someone needs to recognize that this is God's provision in this moment. Jesus draws another illusion, uh, an illustration to the Lord's table as being the very grace of God Himself for our spiritual beings. Not only is God providing for us physically, God provides for us spiritually. Now at the root of charis, which is gr- uh, grace, there is the word kara, which is the word for joy. And it is also used in this meaning. So not only do we recognize the grace of God, but we also know what attitude we are to experience when we're sensing that grace from God. Right? Not only what, but how. Right? Not only that, but with what attitude. So not only do we recognize God's grace, but we recognize God's grace with joy. Now, the reason this is so important is because he tells us it is his will that we be thankful. But then he tells us with what kind of thanks to recognize that every circumstance, every moment is the very grace of God for that moment. And you, sh- you would be filled with joy if your mind is being sanctified because you can control your mind to see it from God's perspective. That your mind is able to see God's gospel at work, His kingdom at work. And when you are seeing that God is at work in His kingdom, you can't help but be filled with joy. Because you want God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Amen? We want to see what God wants, not what I want. Because what I want probably pleases me. What God wants pleases Him. Only a person who is spirit-filled, only a person who is being sanctified can say, I want what God wants more than I want what I want. And actually experience joy at the thought of that. All right, So important because remember that joy is actually a fruit of the... Yes, so you can't have joy if you don't have the Spirit. You won't have the Spirit and not be in the process of being sanctified. That's why this word is so important. So in every circumstance, you need to see that the circumstance itself is the grace of God to produce the gospel. And you should be joyful that the gospel is being produced, not your circumstance. So redemptive. It's so impregnated with power for every moment of our day that there's not one circumstance that goes by that's wasted on God's kingdom. The problem is Christians aren't being sanctified and can't see it from God's perspective. All we can see is what we want. Our power, our influence, our money, our standing, our comfort, our pleasure. Me, me, me. So circumstances happen and grumble and complain and I didn't get my way. Oh, we're really good at when things work out for us, we say, isn't God good? Hey, listen, God's good when you don't get your way. Your circumstance does not define whether or not God is good. All things work together for good that to those who love God are called according to His purpose, right? All things. God doesn't waste circumstances. The problem is our minds aren't set on God's will, it's set on what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? So we spend our entire life praying for health and wealth and for prosperity and for good things and for influence and for friends and promotions and ease. And, and no, I'm not just preaching this because I came back from Africa. 
but it helps. Ingratitude is actually, say, well, I'm not. Ingratitude is a characteristic of those that are actually in rebellion against God. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, because I don't think we think, I don't think we process that in our in our minds, because our minds aren't being spiritual. We think of ingratitude as, well, I didn't get my way, or or or, or grumbling and complaining and opinionating and nah 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 nah. It begins to shape everything about our heart. And we need to understand that ingratitude is a characteristic of those in rebellion against God. And, and people who are grumbling and complaining, you say, you hear people grumbling and complaining and say, well, I didn't know you were in rebellion against God. And you'd say, well, I'm not in rebellion against God. Well, wait a minute. But God is sovereign over every circumstance. You're grumbling and complaining about your circumstance. So guess what? You are grumbling and complaining about the sovereignty of God. Well, I'm not angry. You don't have to be angry and not be thankful. Right? You can not be thankful and be, have a smile on your face. You don't have to be angry. But listen, ingratitude can be a result of negligence and unintentional living. Let me tell you. If you want to live thankful lives where you see the grace of God at work and you have the joy of the Lord as your strength, it requires moment by moment intentional living. Because naturally, we're selfish. Naturally. So if you're just going to put it in neutral and claim the cross but not be thankful in every circumstance, uh, those things are not compatible. Right? So if, if you're not thankful, it's because you're not living in the Spirit. Then that's the natural result. So you, if you put it in neutral and you just take it as you come, I think a lot of people think that, you know, the longer I live in Christ, the more joyful and grateful I will be. It doesn't work that way. Every moment must be intentional. We have to choose to be thankful. We have to choose to see God's plan, not our plan. It's hard. It's the hardest thing for the Christian to do because it is the most difficult thing in opposition to the flesh. But here's, here's, a, here's good news. Sometimes as a Christian, I know how we feel. We feel like we're juggling a thousand different things and I should be kinder and I should be more loving. I should forgive more. I should be more patient. I should be all of these things. I, I know how it feels. Not to mention just your daily life. I know. I know. what I, I live it too. But here's what I also, the Lord is teaching me right now. Is that if I only focus on wanting God's plan in every moment, and I can learn how to be thankful with joy in every moment, I don't have to worry about any of the other things because they all take care of themselves. So it is the hardest thing to do, but if we will choose to see God's grace at work in every moment, and that God's kingdom is being expressed in every moment, then we we got a lot less that we have to shuffle and juggle. One thing, it's hardest, but it's one thing, not a thousand things, that Satan uses to keep us distracted from expressing grace in the world around us. Now, I don't think sometimes we see, well, you know, have you ever seen uh, people that are just perpetually positive and just make me, really just make me sick. Uh, I only 
when I run into somebody that's just always this grateful person, I always say, man, I don't know what happened to them when they were a child, but they were hurt. They, somebody dropped them, you know. They gotta, uh, I wish that it came that easy to me. Not saying that it comes easy, but, but I think what we, we need to learn or identify today is that just because we don't recognize our unintentional negligence does it make it less sinful? Listen to me, ingratitude isn't a choice or just a choice. It's sin. It's sin. Not to be thankful, not to see God's grace at work in any moment that fills us with the joy of knowing He is at work. Not to experience that moment by moment is sin and it should be repented of. It's not a level of maturity, it's sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, I don't know why we let ourselves off the hook here. We call it personalities or emotions or all sorts of things. But Paul was telling the church at Corinth about the children of Israel in the Old Testament and their incessant grumbling and complaining, right? And he says to them, nor grumble as some of them did, he's talking about the children of Israel, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he actually tells us that it was the ingratitude of the Israelites in the Old Testament that brought them into destruction. We need to realize how important that it really is. In fact, in Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11, I won't read it, uh, but, but mark it down and go back and read it later. It, it tells us that ingratitude, talking about the children of Israel again, but ingratitude is actually a result of hardened hearts. The first step is not being thankful. And again, I'm not talking about saying thank you and, and being, oh, I'm glad that worked out. Somebody did something for me. I'm talking about seeing God's grace in the moment and expressing joy. The first step is ingratitude. What ingratitude will do is actually progresses to excuses. And so we'll start justifying our ingratitude. And we'll start feeling sorry for ourselves. And we'll sulk and we'll bemoan. And, and, uh, and so it progresses to excuses. And excuses always lead us to sin. Sin actually will lead us to hardened living. And hardened living actually brings us to rebellion. And in uh, Psalm 95, it says that once we're in rebellion, we won't experience or enter into God's rest. So it's the same thing for us as well. The children of Israel didn't experience the rest of God in the promised land because they were grumbling and complaining. The same thing is true for us. If we don't express thankfulness in every circumstance, we won't be able to experience the joy that comes from experiencing the grace of the Lord in any moment. When, when Paul talks about human depravity, and we love, listen, I know, we live in a day, and, and I love use, human, using Romans chapter 1. We all use Romans chapter 1 to talk about men and women and gender identities and all of those things and how God does have an opinion about this. But I want you to listen to these verses, verse 21, and then we'll read verse 24. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Wait a minute. He just put ingratitude in with homosexuality. Therefore, God gave them over. What? We love Romans chapter 1 to prove our point. 
But God says even those that aren't thankful, those that do not see that it is my kingdom, not your kingdom. That's hard. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says that we are to be joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why? Because we are qualified now because of Jesus. We are qualified. He qualifies us to share in the inheritance. Who? Who do we give thanks to? The Father. What are we to give? We're to give thanks. He also tells us how. Joyously. There's a continuity of how we are to give this special Eucharisto kind of thanks, which is the will of God for us. A spirit of joyous, continual thankfulness ought to characterize us as Christians. So it's not surprising that the man in Acts chapter 13, also in the Old Testament, but that, that God would call David a man after his own heart is one of the most thankful men in Scripture. Uh, let's go over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to just use David as a, an illustration and then we'll, we'll move on. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, David has consolidated his kingdom. He's brought it all under one empire, all the Israelites together. And he's moved the kingdom, the uh, capital of the kingdom, to Israel. He has placed the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, in the tent, in Jerusalem. He has built this magnificent palace uh, for himself. And, and while David's battles with all of Israel's enemies are still going to be continuing, and, and you can see that in the next few chapters pr pretty quickly, at this moment in chapter 7, God has kind of given David a breather. He's, he's kind of at rest for the moment. And during this period of calm, David actually has a few minutes on his hands to think. And while he is thinking and not at war, he looks at his house and he looks at the tent. And I think David starts feeling a little bit guilty because his home is so much nicer than God's home. And so he says to himself, I think I'm going to build a permanent structure for God because hmm, God's worth it. God should have his own place too. And uh, I don't mean to demean that because I think that David's heart was probably in the right place. But David wants to build a temple for God. And so he goes and he tells Nathan what he wants to do. Nathan is the prophet. that God actually speaks through Nathan from time to time. And so the first thing that Nathan says is, that is a great idea. You're right. God does deserve it. Let's do that. But that night when David is asleep, God comes to Nathan and he says to Nathan, Nathan, no, the whole temple thing's off. You tell David no on the temple. But tell him this, I'm actually going to produce through him the Messiah. And, and I'm going to, the kingdom of David through the Messiah will have no end. And David is just, the next morning, Nathan comes in and he says, hey, that whole temple thing, I, I'm, you know I'm paraphrasing, right? The whole, the whole temple thing, that's a no-go. Uh, there's not going to be a temple. God says he, he's actually going to, uh, inside of you, is, is actually the, the makings of the Messiah. And, and David, you know what David did? Now, David just begins to express thankfulness. 
Now, here's how you know Blaine and David aren't the same. Because Blaine would say, what are you talking about he doesn't want a temple? He has no idea what I'm thinking. This place is going to be awesome. I have my plans. Do you not know? I wasn't asking. I'm telling him what I'm going to do. Now, the first thing was say, wait a minute, David, you wanted to build a temple, but then God says, I'm going to give you these promises instead. Who wouldn't be excited about that? It's easy to express thanks. But I want you to realize that this is the moment that David has been living up to. This is like his life's vision and ambition. And God just said, no. The thing I want to be known for, in fact, I want to build it for God, but right across it will say David's temple for generations. God said, no. How do you respond when you know what you want? Ah, you say, I want to know what God wants for me, but you already know what you want God to want from you. And when God says, no, you've got really nothing to offer me. Man, that's a hard shift. That's a hard shift. What does David do? Immediately, praise the name of the Lord. That's great. I'm excited about that. Now listen, if you're not already looking for that moment, for what God wants, you're not going to be able to make that hard shift. You're going to sulk. You're going to get disappointed. You're going to get depressed. You're going to grumble and complain. You're going to fight against it. You're going to figure out how to, a, a way to get what you want. If you're not in the habit of looking for the positive of looking for the grace. Not only does David see what God wants to do, David is literally filled with joy because of his partnership, God's choice to partner with him for the furtherance of the gospel of the kingdom. So a couple things about that. I think, too, boy, I wanted to... I mean, I was going to help actually lay the block. And then God says, no, I'm going to put the Messiah in you. You'll eventually give birth to him. Well, is he going to be my son? No, he won't be your son. He'll be the son of David, but he he won't be your literal son. Well, my grandson? Well, no, he won't be your grandson. Uh, In fact, it'll be a thousand years from now. And it won't actually even be fully realized until the millennial reign of Christ when he rules upon the earth. But I wanted a temple today. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I think of how David teaches us that being in God's will or wanting something for for God uh, focuses not on self but on what God wants, right? So much of our life focuses on me, 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 me. What do I want? What do I feel? What do I get? What am I praying? And what God is teaching us is He has a will for our life. He's working that will out moment by moment, thought by thought. Every, every moment is His kingdom. But if your mind's not wrapped around it, when there is a controversy or there's a conflict between your mind and the mind of Christ, you're going to balk at it. And you're probably going to say, I didn't get my way. Grumble, grumble, complain, complain, opinion, opinion. What do you all think about it? That's not what David does at all. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this. But I want you to read chapter 7 of Second Samuel. 
David says, boy, there's some, I want to do something for God. I'm so excited. I, I, I want to do something for Here's something I can do. And God says, no, no, no. David, I don't want you to build a temple for me. In fact, I'm going to place my kingdom and the future of my kingdom, I'm actually going to place him in you. Which is better, do you think? <laughs> when I wanted to build a temple for you, Lord, and now you're telling me that you are wanting to do something for me. Yes, but I'm not doing it for you, David. I'm doing it through you. It's for me. Right? Because it's all for me. Now, I want to I wanna shift over into 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and then again in chapter 6. And so I know when you say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And while we're waiting, we say, you know what? Here's something I want to do. I want to do something for God. I want to make my mark on God's kingdom. Here's something I can do. And here's what God will say. No, 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 no. Your best effort is not quite what I had in mind. In fact, uh, if you wrote it down, First uh, 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 Samuel chapter seven, Second Samuel chapter seven, uh, verse seven. All right. Uh, so I'm going to paraphrase this. Go back and read it. But here's what the Lord says, David. Uh, I have been all over the world. I have been in every nation. If I wanted a temple, I'd have had it by now. You don't think, you don't think if I wanted a I don't need you to build me a temple. I could go anywhere and say, build me a temple. And they'd build me a temple. I don't need your cedar logs building me a temple. But I do want to place myself in you. I'm going to need your partnership with that. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 6. Paul says, I know that you want to do great things for God. It's inside of us spiritually. But if you're not thinking from God's perspective by being sanctified, you're going to miss this part of it. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you are the dwelling place? I know that you're wanting to put me in a place, but I want to put my place in you. And through you, every nation of the earth will be blessed. I want my son, the Messiah, to live inside of you and to be birthed out of you every day. Every moment. I want my kingdom expressed through you. Do you not know this? Sanctification. Thinking like Jesus. Seeing the kingdom from God's perspective. Taking every thought captive unto Christ. And when I start seeing every circumstance, that God is at work in every circumstance, and I can see God's grace being expanded upon the earth, and it fills me with joy. Because you can see God's grace moving. You know, sometimes that gets in my way of my plan. I know we want to do great things for God, but listen, God wants to do great things in you, but God wants to do great things through you for His glory. And joy really comes 
when you just let him take control of your life and you quit fighting against him. If you want to fight against him, you want to grumble and complain and you're going to be destroyed by the destroyer. But if you'll open yourself up in every circumstance, you'll be able to see God at work and it'll fill you with joy because he has chosen to partner with you and he uses you to make his kingdom known. So powerful. What an incredible opportunity. So, this morning, I want to remind you of that. Do you not know? I know you want to know what God's will is. Here is God's will for you. In every circumstance, give thanks. Find joy. For this is the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we were reminded today, may you increase and may we decrease. May you be lifted up and may we be brought low. Lord, I do, I do pray that as we find satisfaction in your kingdom, satisfaction in your plan, I pray that in that satisfaction we can be joyful and thankful and we can see your grace at work. We don't deserve it. Just like David doesn't deserve it. But you have chosen. And so we're grateful this morning. So Lord, I ask, I ask that you would teach us by your spirit what it looks like to live moment by moment in your will. And may we not get caught up in building temples. And may we not get caught up in projects and, and the things that we can do May we be satisfied in what you're doing through us already. May we see it. May we openly partner with it for your glory, Lord, and not for our comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.